Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at I was up most of the night, so I'm, I'm filled with uh, expectation for what God wants to say. We are facing probably the greatest assault on the church and on our nation in our lifetime. Um, I'm not talking about a political battle, which many will claim, or economic battle that others would claim. We're facing an onslaught of Satan to remove believers in any nation that stands for them or with them. It's a global battle. How do I know that? Well, if you go to Genesis chapter 3, it indicates that there's going to be a battle between the woman and the serpent. And I don't know about you, but I've seen more evil and corruption in the world than I ever thought possible. Evil is rearing its head, but I'm, I'm of great, I have great hope because the Bible says that when it gets darker, it gets brighter. That's a funny thing because the Bible also says in the New Testament, it says, let the wheat and the tares grow together. And then at the end, God will harvest both, casting the tares into the fire and the wheat will be harvested for fruitfulness. Now, I know I don't look this old, but over the past 70 years of my life, I have seen many cultural and spiritual battles. But I'm telling you right now, nothing even comes close to what we're facing now. Why do I say that? Because Satan knows he has a short time. And so he's coming with all that he has. Revelations 2.7 says, He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now I'm telling you, I believe this is an hour the church needs to wake up. We need to come alive. We need to be excited. We need to be full of faith. We need to be full of the Holy Spirit. It isn't a time to... uh, adjust things or, or, or just become, you know, normalized. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit knowing what he wants to do. And some of you might say, well, Pastor Ken, you know, this, this is just a lot of hyperbole. You're just exaggerating or this isn't really believable. Well, I ask you to do this. Then go to God sincerely Spend time with God, spend time in prayer and fasting, and ask him if what I'm saying is not true. And if you, get an other, if you give another answer, I'll have you come up here and I'll interview you. Because I want to hear what you have to say. For those who are young and, and, and uh, think that this is just some older guy up here trying to work up emotions and, and manipulations... Please listen to the Holy Spirit for a few minutes. I want to talk to you today about many things, but I want to bring it all together as to what's happening. This has been a strange year 
as all of you know. But a few weeks ago, the Lord gave me this scripture out of 2 Chronicles 20, 20. It says, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. And believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. Believe God, and you'll be established. Believe the prophets, and you'll prosper. Can I tell you, we need to start really believing God. And we also need to start believing the prophets. I've heard so many people say, well, we don't believe that. We don't believe that. We don't. Come on, let's stand with the prophets. And I'm telling you, I'm prophesying today. And I believe that God is, is up to something so great, so amazing, that uh, we will be amazed in, in, in short time. We're going to see God do some amazing things. This 2 Chronicles 2020 scripture is my 2020 scripture for this year. It's a 2020 challenge. It's for us today. Now, again, let me give you a little background for those of you who don't know me real well. In my 20s, I experienced several things that changed my life and led to where I am right now. I wouldn't be here if this hadn't happened in my 20s. Now, the whole, the whole point of this message is to show you how God works in days past to bring out his purpose in days present. Now, watch this. First of all, in my 20s, I was baptized amazingly in the Holy Spirit. I experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit that led to an amazing encounter with God. I'm going to tell you, we cannot live these days without the leading, the guiding, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. If you've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, ask him for it. It will change everything. It changed everything in me. Which then led to a revelation of the Word of God. The Word of God just started exploding in my heart. I, I had, you know, I was raised in the church, so I know the Bible really well. But I'm telling you, when the revelation of the Word of God came, it changed everything. I experienced things I'd never seen before. I mean, things popped. You know what I mean? It just popped. It just popped out. And I'm going, and I had direction. I had rhema word that directed my life. Again, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't even have married my wife unless the Word of God had come the way it had and, 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 and uh, led us to where we're at right now. The third thing that happened to me, these all happened in a short amount of time, within just a few years. I then encountered worship in a church setting that blew me away. It was like the sound of many waters. It was the worship that came. It, it actually leveled me. I fell down on the ground. I can remember falling on my knees, crying and marveling at the wonders of God. It leveled me and it changed me into becoming a pursuer of God, a minstrel. The next thing, I had those three things, and then the next thing all happened in my 20s. The next thing that happened was that, that uh, God led me to find some treasure. I actually was it, was, it was revealed to me through reading and research the true Christian heritage of America, which I had never been taught. And it blew me away about the miracles that occurred in America to establish America. I had never seen it before. I, I didn't understand how it, how it fit together with our declaration and our constitution, how the governance of America was different than any other country that had ever been on the face of the earth. 
I didn't know that. I never learned it in school. So I found out those four things that, that changed my life. And all of that prepared me for the day I live in now. Many of you have similar stories of how God has prepared you in years past for this hour. I'm telling you, the song they just sang was powerful. Oh, God, let the light in. You know, this is the hour. Prepared, you have prepared us for this hour. Now, in Scripture and in history, I want to tell you, I want to talk about two nations. And I set all this up to tell a few stories to explain how God works in amazing ways to accomplish his purpose. There's two nations I want to talk about. The first one is Israel. God divinely chose Israel to be his own people. We see this all through the Old Testament. It is the story of a bridegroom and a bride and their tenuous relationship. God wanted Israel to be his own and to love him. And that's why there was no king at first. They didn't need a king. They had God. Then God wanted Israel to influence the other surrounding nations and bring them to himself as well. And this all is, in, is encapsulated in the word of God. And, and even today, God is working with Israel. You can say amen once in a while. <laughs> Sheesh. Wake up! <laughs> God is working with Israel. I mean, we've, we've not seen, there's not been a point in, in any his, history that I've read that there's been some uh, Muslim nations that have come into agreement with Israel like they have the last year. I mean, we, you, some of us just kind of, we look at history or we look at what's happening and we just kind of, oh, well, no, there's some amazing things happening. The second nation I want to talk about is our own nation, the United States. God divinely set up our country to be, to be also set aside for him for a special purpose. America was to be an evangelist and missionary nation to help bring all of the nations to God. I have read volumes on this. And you will, you will not be able to, uh, to, to argue with me on this one. I, I'll bring my whole library and start reading to you. It is an exceptional nation that we live in. Completely different than all others in its governance. No other nation has governance, has a constitution, a declaration, has a foundation like America. No other nation, and all nations know that. Amen. It, it, it started the worldwide stage well over 500 years ago when Columbus came and discovered America. But it started before that because Columbus's grandfather was a praying man and had visions of his grandson coming and discovering a new land. And then in 1620, the pilgrims, who were Puritans and separatists, they landed near Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and named the place Plymouth after the city they left in Europe. And on November 11th, just, what, uh, just a couple weeks ago, on November 11th, we celebrated the 400th year of the signing of the Mayflower Compact, which is the governing document that they signed as they landed in America. This led, the Mayflower Compact, I'm a history teacher, so I'm trying to explain this to you. The Mayflower Compact was the governing foundation that led to our declaration and our constitution. It was inserted into it. 
and it was started by the Puritans and, and, and the separ these separatists, the pilgrims. So 400 years ago, just two weeks ago on the 11th, so this month was the eighth jubilee of the Mayflower Compact. I believe that there's something significant. God works in, in amazing numerolo numerological ways. The eighth jubilee means new beginning. An eighth jubilee. Jubilee means setting slaves free. Getting your property back. Getting everything back. And it was a document that gave glory to God and spoke of how they would govern through self-government. Spoke of their mission. It was not just for believers, but for every, anyone who would adhere to its tenets. Because half of those people on the Mayflower weren't pilgrims. They were called strangers. They, were, they had come just to, for the adventure or the wealth that they would gain in the new world. But interestingly enough, they were blown off course by 500 miles on their way to America. This is the most, this is an amazing, I could tell you story after story of miracles that established America. I could tell you of the, the French Navy that was coming to destroy the colonists with thousands of men on board. They were coming to destroy the colonists that had been established, but God would not let them land. Storm after storm after storm kept them offshore until they had to return home. I could tell you story after story. And then what, what occurred here, a storm came and blew them 500 miles off course. They were on their way to Virginia, but God said, no, I don't want you being with those who have already established a colony. I want you to establish a religious freedom colony. And they established the Mayflower Compact. They, they uh, uh, made land uh, near, near Cape Cod and they called the place Plymouth. Now, interestingly enough, now stay with me because I got to tell you these stories. You have to understand that God starts working things out well before you get to the hour that it is occurring in your life. Now, I just told you my story. God started doing things in my 20s so I could be in my 650s, 60s, 70s and do even greater things. He's preparing your life for days down the road. In 1608, there was a, there was a, a uh, Patuxent tribe uh, in right where the pilgrims eventually landed. And they had a village right there. In 1608, the boys, there was a, a young man named Squanto. And he, with all of his friends, were out near the ocean. And they were fishing and they were doing all these different uh, things that young boys at 12 years of age did. They saw a ship come in. And they had seen some of this before. But the ship landed and some men get, got off and talked with them and shared things with them. And they seemed to be quite friendly at first until eventually they got aggressive and they kidnapped the boys, put them on the ship and took off for Spain. The boys were put in the hold of the ship. They didn't know what was going on. They were, they were scared to death. When they got to Spain, they were taken off, off the ship. They were put on the dock where they were sold into slavery one after another. They got to Squanto, the last one. Squanto was up there on the dock and some monks happened to be there and they had a bag of, of coins and they threw the bag down and they purchased Squanto and took him back to the monastery. Over the next few days, weeks and months and years, 
They trained Squandle. They, they were kind to him. They talked to him about a loving God. He, he, he gave his life to, to Christ. They told him how, what a destiny he would have in his life and what God was going to do. For five years, he stayed in that monastery being trained in the language and in the, in the history and in the religion of these uh, men of God. He then wanted to go home, so they sent him to England where he stayed with a family, a Christian family, who prayed and after five more years put him on a ship and he made it to the United States, st uh, stopping in Newfoundland over the winter. As he, as he came, as they came to the very place where his, where his village was, he got off the ship and went and found that no one was in his village. There was no barking dogs, there was no animals, everything was gone. He went a few miles to a neighboring village, asked, what has happened to my family and my, 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 my tribe? And they said, a, a disease came through and killed everybody. And he thought to himself, he began to just weep and cry and he was mourning. He thought 10 years has come to this. So he went and lived with the neighboring village for some time and then he decided uh, to go live by himself in the forest near his neighboring, the village where he had, his family had lived. One day, a, 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 uh, a man from the neighboring tribe came to him and whose name was Samuel Set. He came and says, hey, I got to show you something. Come with me. We're going to go back to your village. He went back to his village and there on the, almost the very site where his, his village was, a group of English people were building a village. He comes out of the trees and says, hello, my name is Samoset. The pilgrims about fell on their face. No one spoke English, particularly natives. And he began to tell, him their, tell them his story. This is in 1620, 12 years after he was kidnapped. He then proceeded to show them how to grow corn, how to fish, how to provide for themselves, how to build, and they, in, in doing so, he actually helped save the pilgrims. True story. William Bradford, who was the governor, I have the quote, he, he uh, at one point, they had a prayer over Squanto. And William Bradford spoke to Squanto and said, you have been like Joseph in the Bible to us. You were kidnapped, you were put in slavery, but God did that to save us. Amazing story. You're here because a man named Squanto saved religious freedom in the New England area. I mean, I could go again. I could tell you many, many more stories. But I'm here to say that, that God is working in our lives for specific times and events that will come into our families or our individual lives at a certain time that will help save people. You're a Joseph. You're a Squanto. All those things that you went through, all those difficult times, 
God shapes them, God forms them, and he prepares you as you come into your hour that you will help save others. Come on, stay with me. And that's what happened to America. America was, was established on a foundation that is truly amazing. Let me say it this way. America is the last great hope for the world. Now, I've been in other countries. I'm not saying this because I think it. They think it. They believe it. Whenever I go to another nation, they ask me, what's happening? What, 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 is, what is occurring in the church? What, when is this going to happen or that? They're waiting on revival to come in America because they know when it hits America, it will hit them. God's desire, I believe, is to, is to begin a great awakening in America leading to a reformation that will turn all of our institutions into godly entities. But we are right now facing a battle of worldviews. Please listen to my broadcast on the radio once in a while. It will help you understand all this. And you, you, you will, you, we're seeing right now that there's, there's this battle ensuing and there's too many people that are ignorant of Satan's devices and don't understand history. And if you don't understand history, you're apt to repeat the down times or the negative side of history. Right now, we're facing a, that's a battle of worldviews. It's Christianity versus globalistic socialism or collectivism, as I like to say. And a lot of other issues, but I'm trying to simplify it for you today. In other words, it's God versus big government. It's put your trust in government or put your trust in God. You choose self-rule or state rule. Now, I can't say it any other way. I'm just, I'm here to tell you that all these terminologies of, well, social, we're a democratic socialist. Are you a fool? Do you know what happened with socialism? Don't give me this socialism and tell me it's a good thing. I know the history. I know that between, I know that between 1900 and today, oh, between 140 million and 200 million people have been genocided in the world because of socialism. Did you know that? We're facing a battle. Now it's interesting because so the, the, the pilgrims were sent by Capital Ventures. And what they did is they gave him the money for the ship and provisions, but they would have to pay it back. And so they asked the pilgrims to actually work their way in a specific way. And they actually told them to work socialism out. So they, the pilgrims came and they started, they, they built their whole economy on socialistic principles. In other words, everyone got the same pay. Everyone got the same composition, co compensation. So what happened is the young men got upset with the older men because they were doing more work, but weren't getting, they were getting the same pay. The older men were upset with the young men because they were getting the, whole, the, the, the same pay and they felt like they need to be honored more. And the, the, the women didn't want to go out to work because they get paid anyway. They wanted to stay home with their children. This thing didn't work. So William Bradford said one day, we're not going to do this anymore. So he gave property to each one and each one 
got to go in and make their own living in the sense of, of, of providing uh, 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 crops and whatever they wanted to do. And soon the village or the pilgrims flourished. I'm just telling you the short story here. It's just, it's just utterly amazing. I'll give you four things they learned. Boy, you're learning a lot today. This is, see, I'm, I'm a pastor who tries to give you some totality of understanding. Because if you don't, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be deceived. Socialism, they found this out. Socialism destroys initiative. If you get paid the same thing, why work any harder? Socialism number two fosters irresponsibility. I don't want to do anything more than I have to. Number three, socialism extinguishes hope and generates strife. This all doesn't sound like the Bible. And number four, socialism is incompatible with human nature. Listen, if you get a chance to make progress in your life and to make money or, or fruitfulness or something and make something out of your life, you press in more. That's the Bible. It's called the parable of the talents. I've had people come to me and say, well, you know, Pastor Ken, the Bible is just the manual on socialism. Have you read the Bible? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Jeez. Now, Israel, America, God's hand, and he's still moving. Now, I'm not discounting all other nations. That's not my point. I'm just saying that there is a special ingredient sewn into the very fabric of America that the enemy is trying to remove. Let me say it that way. And you and I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quote somebody at the end, it's gonna blow you away. You and I are the stopgap that is standing against it happening. It's the church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And he's going to give us the keys of the kingdom. And we'll bind on earth and be bound in heaven. We'll loose on earth and be loosed in heaven. So we see all this. Now, I want to go to the Old Testament, tell you a couple stories and show you what I think God is. And you know these stories. So you're going to say, oh, why do we have to go over that? Well, why do you need to go to church, you know? I want to tell you the story of David and Goliath. I'm going to read a couple uh, things that David said. It's just, it's just great. So, I used to uh, tell this story to all, to all the kids in, in church, and I was always, because I was tall, I always had to be Goliath. <laughs> and I always got hit by the rock and fall to the ground, you know. So, here's David and Goliath. David's on the backside of the desert, has been preparing, uh, has been working for his father, tending the sheep. But during the time he's tending the sheep, he kills a lion and he kills a bear. He's a minstrel, so he's singing and worshiping God. So he's been built up in the Holy Spirit. He's been built up in God. One day he's sent by his father uh, to go and check on his brothers who were in the army. And then he goes to the army, or he goes to the place where they're at, and uh, he sees what's happening. They tell him there's this, uh, there's this giant here that nobody wants to go down and, 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 and confront. 
And he's, and David comes to Saul and says, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Now, listen to what he's saying. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against the Philistine to fight. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of his flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught, caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. You can do that when you've been in the presence of God, been trained and been anointed by God to do something great even in the future. And David comes along. He didn't even, he didn't even you know, do anything except declare what he was going to do to the giant. So verse 45 goes on. I love this. Then David said to the Philistine after the, the Goliath came down and started mocking David. So David said to the Philistine, I think we need to start saying these kinds of things to the enemy. He says, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. You see, there's no weapon the enemy has that can, that can defeat anything God has. God has not lost a battle yet. This day, I love this, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you and this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. And that's what happened. David didn't have to go away for a week, three days, 10 days, a month, and pray and fast. He'd already been prepared. You see, I'm telling you people, we got to get prepared. We got to be in the spirit. So whenever our time comes, we'll just start, we'll just move into it and declare. And we'll take what God has given to us. And so I'm, I'm, I'm expressing this in, in these words. So David goes down, takes the stone and throws it. I, you know, listen guys, he could have thrown it the other direction and it would have hit him. It's true. I mean, the, it was the angel that goes, it was the angel. I've, I've seen this. It's like he had a laser and he just took that laser. Okay, we'll go right over here. Okay, right there. And then what happened, he goes down, kills the Goliath by cutting off his head. And then what happened? All of Israel joined him. Let me say it this way. It only takes one or two who have faith to declare and defeat the enemy. And all will follow. I believe... This is our hour. We need to start declaring, Amen. start defeating the enemy. Now I need, to, I want to take you to another. Do you understand that whole story then? How God prepared David and his hour came and he defeated the enemy. Here's a great story. This is a classic. And you know this story. It's called Esther. The story of Esther, interestingly enough, in the whole book, not one mention is made of God. But God's all everywhere. This story is about an orphan girl being prepared by God for influence in the governmental arena. And so what happened is she was, 
Her cousin's name was Mordecai. Her dad and mom died, and her cousin, it was, her dad was uh, the uncle of Mordecai. And so he adopted her as his own daughter, and uh, they, they were living in this area of Ahasuerus' kingdom. And so I'm going to turn there real quick and explain a fascinating story. I'm going to summarize it for you so you'll, you'll all understand. I would suggest you go to the story and read it. But the story of Esther. So she's then chosen to be prepared for possibly being the queen. And interestingly enough, in Esther 2.12, it says that each young woman's turn came to go into King Ahasuerus after she had completed 12 months preparation. Do you know what our problem is? We don't like preparation. Yet Esther had to be prepared with all kinds of myrrh, anointing oil, and, and, and perfumes to go into the king. We need to see that God is preparing us now for situations that are coming up in the near future. Come on, stay with me here. This is, this is what God does. It may be decades, it may be a few years, it may be 12 years like, like Squanto. It may be you know, 20, 40 years like it was with, with uh, Moses. But I'm telling you, something begins to happen. Uh, and can I say to both young and old, start preparing if you haven't done already. What do I mean by that? I'm not talking about being a survivalist. Yeah, you can do part of that if you want to, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking, get your spirit ready, prepare your heart, your life, your family for what God is going to do in you in a short time. I just don't, the, the time is short. Can I just say it this way? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be bold and just say it this way. You need to get away from worldly cultural influences. Some of you have made social media a god. And you just simply need to get off of it. And I would, I'm going to go further. I have, I have forsaken all media except for the sources I trust. Because I don't want anyone destroying my faith by their stupidity and their lies. You have got, now I'm, I'm a news guy, so I, that's a big deal for me. Yet, I do, I, we're in a day and time, it's unusual, and you have got to get ready for what God is doing. And so prepare yourself like, like Esther was prepared. So Mordecai, just say, get away from everything that destroys your faith. And whatever that is, you know what it is. I mean, as I've spoken, God has spoken. Some of you are hooked on things you just need to get away from. I'm telling you, life will be a lot more happy too. So what happens is this. Mordecai raises Esther as his own daughter, and he would always be outside the king's gate, the Bible says. And so Mordecai found out, as he was sitting at the king's gate, he found out about a plot to assassinate the king and told Esther, who told the king, and they caught the two guys and hung them. Then they put it in the king's record book, and put it on the shelf. Haman, at the very same time, uh, 
comes up through the ranks and becomes second in command to the king. And he was so arrogant, he wanted everyone to bow down to him. And every time he went by Mordecai, Mordecai wouldn't do it. He began to despise Mordecai. Haman also deceivingly at the same time had the king make an edict to kill all the Jews in his kingdom. He deceived the king into doing that. And the Jews in response mourned and they fasted and they prayed because they realized they were going to be genocide. Mordecai then instructs Esther. I'm doing a summary here. Mordecai instructs Esther, who is a Jew, to go into the king and ask mercy for her people. At first she says, I don't know if I want to do that. Because if I go in and he doesn't extend the scepter, I'm dead meat. I don't know if she said dead meat, but she said something of the sort. Esther 4.13 says, And Mordecai told them to answer Esther, Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, hear the word, silent. At this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. We, we know that scripture. Notice what it says. You can't remain silent because it doesn't matter. You're going to get killed even if you remain silent or not. And so he instructs her. So what, what, is, what, what does Esther do? So... I, w- I want you to get to, to grab a hold of this story as if God is speaking to you. Here's the rest of the story. So she has the Jews fast and pray for her, and she then goes into the king and asks that Haman join them for a banquet. She doesn't go in immediately and ask for the request. Now, it's interesting. After she prays and fasts, all these events are put in place. This is just crazy. Uh, this, is a, this is a movie. In the meantime... Haman is so caught up with himself and so arrogant and his family, he goes home and he, he complains about Mordecai and his wife and his family encourage him, well, just build a gallows and hang him on it. Oh, that sounds good. So he goes out and do, does that. One of the nights later, the king couldn't sleep. So he had a servant bring him the book of the records and they were read to him. And he read of the good deed of Mordecai that saved him from the assassination. And the king asked, well, what reward has been given to him? And they said, nothing. Now, at that very same time, Haman had just entered the king's court at that very moment. And the king was asking, well, who can take care of this, I wonder? Haman comes in and the king asks him because he enters the king's courtyard. What should be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Well, Haman immediately thinks it's him that he's talking about. And so Haman spouts this off and says, Oh, let a royal robe that you have that you have worn and and a horse that you have ridden on. Let it be, let, let, let this man be, be given the robe and put on the horse, and let him be paraded through the streets of this city and say this. Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. The king said, that sounds great. Okay, take the robe, get the horse, and go get Mordecai the Jew at the king's gate and put him on it. So here, 
could you, come on, people, God just. So what happens is he, parade, he leads the horse through the city, more, um, uh, Haman does, saying, he, he gives the very thing that, that the king instructed, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. He went home humiliated. Soon he went to the banquet. After two days, they, they, they had, I mean, they had parties back then. Two days go by in this banquet. Esther then gets enough courage. She, she begins to tell the king that her and her people were about ready to be destroyed and killed. The king was angry and said, well, who is this that would do that? And Esther turned around, pointed at Haman, and said, it is this wicked Haman. Now, this completely spilled things up upside down for Haman. While the king went into the garden to think because he was so upset, Haman fell on the couch before the queen, begging her to release favor to him. And as the king re-entered, he sees Haman and founds it most inappropriate before the queen. And the king is even more mad. And the servant says, oh, by the way, king, did you know Haman just built some gallows? And the king says, go hang him on it. Now, we can, you know, we can say, oh, this is, these are all nice little coincidences and how this all put together. No, it didn't work that way. The king then gives Esther the house and belongings of Haman, who in turn gives it to Mordecai. The king then sends another edict all through his kingdom after Esther employed him and implored him and said that the Jews could defend themselves, which in a few weeks it happened. And those who came to destroy the Jews were slaughtered by 75,000, including 10 of Haman's sons, who Esther finds out about and tells the king about it. And he says, let those 10 sons be hung on the gallows as well. Now, the story ends. I did a quick, this is what, 10 chapters? The, the story ends with the Jews setting up a, 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 a feast or a celebration called the Feast of Purim that is even now celebrated by all Jews. Why? Because God sets up time and events and situations to deliver his people. And that's what he's doing with us. Now, I want to close just a few minutes here. Man, time goes fast. One other scripture I want to just mention is the 10 virgins out of Matthew chapter 25. There were five wise and five foolish. The five wise, why were they wise? Because the wise took oil in the vessels at all times. Everywhere they went, they trimmed their lamps and put oil in them. The wise foolish didn't do that. Matthew 25, 13 says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming or when you're going to be used by God. So prepare yourself. Don't run out of oil. And keep yourself filled and prepared by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Because the oil speaks of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Are you with me? So, I want to close with these two scriptures. One is a 
a scripture that uh, Pastor Kelly has been uh, saying and praying for several weeks, if not months. And she shared it with me. Let me bring it up and let me read it. As I mentioned before, did, have you caught anything in this message yet? See how God prepares things? He's doing the same thing for us. I mean, there's things that God has done in your life in past days preparing you for something that's coming up. So get ready. Be prepared. Always, can I say it this way? You, can, you won't make it through this without the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of evil and corruption out there that I've, I've never seen anything like what we're seeing today. But God's in charge. So, Kelly was, has been praying this out of the Message Bible, out of Psalms 94. Now, now hear me out. It's in the message, so it's a little bit abrupt. It says this. It says, God, put an end to evil. Avenging God, show your colors. Judge of the earth, take your stand. Throw the book at the arrogant. God, the wicked, get away with murder. How long will you let this go on? They brag and they boast and crow about their crimes. They walk all over your people, God. Exploit and abuse your precious people. They take out anyone who gets in their way. If they can't use them, they kill them. They think God isn't looking. Jacob's God is out to lunch. Well, think again, you idiots. I'm just reading it. (laughs) Think again, you idiots, fools. How long before you get smart? Do you think Earmaker doesn't hear? Eye shaper doesn't see? Do you think the trainer of nations doesn't correct? The teacher of Adam doesn't know? God knows all right, knows your stupidity and sees your shallowness. How blessed the man you train, God, the woman you instruct in your word, providing a circle of quiet within the clamor of evil. I like that. While a jail is being built for the wicked, God will never walk away from his people Never desert his precious people. Rest assured that justice is on its way and every good heart put right. Who stood up for me against the wicked? Who took my side against evil workers? If God hadn't been there for me, I never would have made it. The minute I said, I'm slipping, I'm falling. Your love, God, took hold and held me fast. When I was upset and beside myself, you calmed me down and cheered me up. Can misrule have anything in common with you? Can troublemaker pretend to be on your side? They ganged up on good people, plotted behind the backs of the innocent. But God became my hideout. God was my high mountain retreat. Then boomeranged their evil back on them. For their evil ways, he wiped them out. Our God cleaned them out for good. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know about you, but I've asked God, how come they're getting away with this? How come those evil people are doing this and nothing happens to them? God has always assured me. uh, My justice is slow, but it's sure. It will happen. And that's why we've got to get away from comparing and seeing things. We just got to get ready and prepared for what God is doing in our lives, preparing for the future. I want to read one other scripture. This is Pastor Chris. I did Pastor Kelly's, and I'm going to give you Pastor Chris' scripture. Psalm 33, 8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. 
Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. I'm telling you, God is trying to erupt in America to bring the church awake again. This isn't just about all these other periphery, it's about the church. And we've got to arise and wake up. I remember the other night I read a 276 page book in about an hour and a half. I'm fast reader and I was, I, I have ways to do it, but I, I printed off a couple quotes. It says, socialists in America aren't sleeping, they're advancing. And they're coming not just for the country, but for the soul of the country. Let us awaken, fall to our knees in confession, repentance, and prayer, don spiritual armor, and stop the advance before it's too late. Even as others mock, save the dream of America before it's too late. Onward, Christian soldiers. And I end with this. If America is to be free, the same book, America needs Christians to get louder. It's that simple. It's the Judeo-Christian belief set that brought America to such great heights. It's the turning from Judeo-Christian beliefs, the turning from God, the secularization of the nation, the refusal to uphold biblical standards and morals and values that opened the door to big, bigger, biggest, even socialist government to enter. It's only by turning to what worked in the first place that America can recapture and hold for the long term its cherished freedoms. And that starts with the churches. That starts with national confession and repentance. That starts with the hearts and souls of the people of the Church of America. Well, that's my word. I want, I, I want to challenge you. Can you stop being normal and wake up? Be challenged for the hour we're living in. This is an hour you and I have never faced. I'm telling you. And I, I, I've, I've been here many years and I'm, I'm seeing all the signs of what the enemy has assigned against the church, particularly in the church globally. But I'm telling you, God has an Esther moment. God has a David moment for Goliath. God has some squantos in training. God has some Josephs in training. Let's prepare our hearts. Let's be like the five wise virgins who prepared by allowing the Holy Spirit to be to fill them at all times. Are you ready for it? Come on. I'm excited. God's got some plans. We're going to go, yes, look at that. Come on. Father, 